So we just finished our conversation with Nimish Gotham. Man is a treat. Very, very well-spoken. Expatriate to, or from, from America, an American expat who now lives in, in Sweden, right? Works in, in Denmark and has lived in Germany to, before yeah. as well. And also used to live in Denmark, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. so I mean, he, he's spent the greater part of a decade overseas in the Scandinavia area. And he really just dove in and started telling us, yeah, you know, what you see as, as America, right? All the racism and discrimination that's going on in America, obviously it's there but he put it into even more perspective of how bad it is and he and as you know he himself is an indian right he is brown and he says you know yes while there is still some degree of racism obviously you can't it's no there's no place in the world where it just doesn't exist mm -hmm. he says the difference right is so was so stark right it's so toned yeah. down yeah and and i mean and he brought up you know specific exam he didn't bring up specific examples of him getting racially profiled in america but he did while he was in Sweden and, you know, and, and, you know, it, it happens and then people react a certain way so that they can change, but it's instant. And I think that speaks volumes. He said, he said they, they saw him, he said they profiled him as Middle Eastern, right? Because of the refugee yeah. crisis that's been going on. And, you know, they kind of looped him into there, but the moment he started talking and speaking with an American accent, they viewed him as American and part of the West. Yeah. Right. And yes, that, that does obviously test the fact that there is still racism there. Right. It also attests to the fact that they're able to change their views on it quickly. Right. And they don't hold. The one thing I did, I brought up is that they don't hold that kind of that lingering fear, that lingering yeah. racism that even if, say, your friend is looked at a different religion or different you know, orientation than you, you know, for a lot of Americans, after they become comfortable with that person, part of them still kind of holds on to those stereotypes and that belief. And he says he hasn't really experienced any of that over there. And he's not really aware of that. Yeah. And another thing that he pointed out, this is more at the start. I feel like at the end of the episode is really when we started to get going with him there's gonna um, be a part two yeah i will say there's I, gonna I, be a part two you're gonna you're gonna listen to this episode and you're gonna get to the end of it and realize well what the hey this was not this wasn't enough i wanted yeah. so much more and we were in the same boat um just some time conflicts came up and we're gonna have a big part two sometime in the next couple weeks i did think what was interesting though was at the start of the episode when we were talking about how kind of wealth is everything like well like money rules you know everywhere but but wealth and that workaholic attitude was also a big thing as to why he left America. And obviously that doesn't have to necessarily do with race. I just thought that was very interesting. No, he said, he said, you know, part of the reason he left was discrimination and racism he faced in America. But he also said, like you just said, that workaholic mentality, right? Which that is so you, true. You, oh my you gosh. You live to work and you work to die, right? Yeah. You, you live, you live to work and you work till you die kind of mentality. He says, you know, when you go to talk to somebody, which I thought was a great example. And I didn't really think about this ever. Didn't know about this. When you talk to somebody in America, right? What do you always bring up? Your job. What do you do? Even if you're a student, what do you bring up? What you, what, you bring up what you're studying. You bring up what you're going to do with your life, right? And he says, you know, and at least he said in Scandinavia, yes, that may come up for a second, you know, and if you, you guys talk, if you guys have the same profession, you may talk about it a little bit more, but usually it's like, this guy does X, Y, Z. He even said, he's like, I've had friends for years, like great friends for years. And he says, he doesn't I know what they do. don't really know exactly what they do. He says, I know their favorite movie. I know where they like to go on a holiday. I like to know, I know their, their everything about them, but not really their job. He says, I know about what they actually care about right? yep. their passions and, and it's such a stark societal difference um and he pointed out a lot more of the societal differences and he pointed out a lot of things you know in terms of the perception of refugees there right and how the black lives matter movement kind of is helping the perception of the refugees there right that they like kian said um, in episode four they originally stood in solidarity the protesters right in the movement um when it made its way over to sweden those in sweden stood in solidarity right but then the people were saying oh but 
if black lives matter yes they do obviously but in our country the big marginalized group is muslims it's a muslim right yeah for example why muslim lives matter too and then it started highlighting those oppressive tactics that are going on in every country to to different marginalized groups and he said yeah this black lives matter movement has really you know yes it started as as a movement of solidarity or or but now it's helping it's helping other marginalized groups and that was big too there's a lot more where that came from in this episode. I promise uh, time will fly. Time flew in this episode, but I'm, I'm sure you're going to enjoy every second of it. Welcome back to Apple Picking. This is Ziggy. This is Donnie. And this episode's special guest, an American native who has spent the last decade or so living in Scandinavia, having gone from salads in Silicon Valley to sur strumming in Sweden. There it is. With us today is Nimish Goltum. Close. Hey there. Close. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah, that was pretty good. I'm gonna. I'm gonna. Oh man, I'm gonna butcher a lot of things today, but hopefully not the things <laughs> um, that matter. So, Nimish, how are you doing today? I'm doing pretty well. Doing pretty well. How about yourself? Doing. I'm doing fantastic. And Don just got off work. Yeah, I'm a little. I'm a little drowsy, but <laughs> that's right. You know, he'll fight through it. Hey, you're not recording. You're not recording at at 10 p.m. Uh, no, like, like Nimish's. Like like, like Nimish's. <laughs> yeah. No, I'll be good. So I'll be you know, you, I know in our last kind of our pre-interview, our, our pre-pre-interview, I don't know what you want to call what we did last week, you, <clears throat> excuse me, kind of mentioned that, you know, you haven't, you didn't just become an expatriate like last week or last year. This was, you know, almost a decade ago. Is that correct? Yeah, it was uh, back in 2012 that I kind of just packed up and uh, moved to Denmark. And, uh, you know, I know you said that your wife is Swedish. Did you guys meet? out you know once you got to scandinavia or did you guys already have connections when you were in america oh we met out here actually um she was a friend of a friend's roommate that was living in sweden at the time and uh yeah we met like a couple of years after i came out here so you so you leaving you know to go to sweden had no you know uh familial motivations no, well, um, I have a cousin up in Norway, uh, so I kind of told myself I wouldn't be completely, completely alone out here. But uh, other than that, no. Was that more just a psychological thing? Yeah, yeah. To kind of convince just, yourself. Well, you know, <laughs> yeah, it's a couple hours flight away and stuff. But yeah, I was like, that's close, right? I, I mean, some like I mean, you say a couple hours, but a couple hours and in America, right? It's just like across the state, you know? Or state yeah, of, yeah. So, I mean, everything's relative. So. I mean, this begs the question. I imagine that if you've talked to another podcast, you may have brought this up as well. But I got to start somewhere. And the question's got to be why, right? <laughs> what What was your reason? I know I know, Swedish you know, women are, ab- are are gorgeous. And I understand that the weather is <laughs> fantastic. But but I feel like it's bigger than that. Oh, yeah. Um, well, the, the main reason that I left was actually because of the workaholic attitude that we have in the United States. Um, it's sort of that work is the most important thing in life. And, you know, the more you work and the harder you work, the more, I don't know, you earn redemption or some sort of something that yeah. I don't really know what people are working for, but, um, it just, it didn't feel right to me. Um, and when I visited Scandinavia a while before it, it, it felt more in balance. Um, but that wasn't the, that wasn't the only reason. It was also the difference in racism, the difference in sexism. And just, yeah, the, the overall sense of balance that I had when I came out here. Yeah, money is power in the U.S. And that doesn't create for good situations whatsoever. Right, exactly. It's, um, I mean, you know, money is power everywhere. But here, slightly, slightly less so. Just enough so that it made it worthwhile for me. So I, you know, you said that money 
being and, and, and your job. And that's what is the defining characteristic essentially of your, of your existence, you know, as an American to a degree. Right. Yeah. It's, yeah. And you know, if you're, if you're, you're a doctor, you're going to be given a little bit more privilege than somebody who's, who's not a doctor. I know that, I know it's a very loose analogy, but what your, what your occupation is, is excruciatingly defining of, you know, who you are in society. Work yourself to death kind of thing is, is, is you live to work and then you work to die. Yeah. And here, I mean, you know, it's not that people don't care what they do or anything. It's just that they're not as obsessed with it. In the US, I definitely knew exactly what my friends did for a living and understood what kind of jobs they had. And they understood what I had, what kind of job I had. And in comparison, I have friends here that I've known for eight years and I don't really know what they do at work because it just doesn't come up. It's just not an important detail of our lives. I know what their favorite movies are. I know what things make them happy. I know what they like to eat, but I don't really know what they do for work. And it's just not that important for some people. That's just, that's odd to think about as, <laughs> as, as an American. Yeah, it's, uh, like American the, it's like one of the first questions that comes up in conversation in America. Oh, what do you do? You know? Yeah. I mean, it comes up here too, but it's not, they're, they're sort of not really a judgment after that. It's almost like a, what, what was your hometown? Where was your, yeah, yeah, like, what was your hometown kind of question? Oh, that's interesting. If you also happen to be doing that profession, you go, oh, yeah, I'm from there too. And, but if not, then you're like, oh, I, I do something different. Cool. Yeah. It's just, and then you move on. It's just like, yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's like in conversations in America, people have so much pride in what they do for a living. They just, they only want to talk about that. It's like, you know, this is what I do. I want to talk about this forever. And I went to, I went to Greece um, three years ago, three or four years ago. And my mom had a business trip there for a couple months. And there was like an open seat. Somebody backed out because of some kind of sickness. And, and they sent an email saying, hey, uh, we're going to Greece in a week. You know, if anybody has anybody they like to bring along for fun, everything's already paid for. Um, we can't, you know, unpay for it. And this individual can't go anymore. First come, first serve. And within like 30 seconds, you know, my mom replied and got me that spot, which was awesome. However, nice. in, you know, going to Greece and we went to shops and we went, we were on, um, on, uh, I love the way I can't think of the names of any of the islands right now. We're on Mykonos. We'll say this one I, I do remember. And, you know, we're going to the shops that are very touristy and we go into one of the shops and, you know, the, the, the merchants there are saying, you know, oh, look at this, you know, this fell right off the truck. They target the Americans. They know the Americans are gullible. You see, you see, there were some Spanish folks in our in our tour group, and there were some Germans, and there was us. And who did the merchant go pick out the moment that they walked into the store? The Americans, right? She, they went right for the lady wearing capris and a fanny pack and a visor <laughs> because they knew she was American. They knew she was gullible, and she was. And for whatever reason, it's like I, I was the only one that was aware that they were targeting her, and she started talking about work they said no you know why are you and why are you visiting our beautiful island and she was like for work and they said what do you do and she said you know i work with um with airplanes right she does she does standards mm. for for you know aerospace and you know she started going into that and going really in depth about you know she was there to discuss uh with some european officials the de-icing process of planes and she went into with this random merchant in one <laughs> store of the thousands in mykonos about how she was de-icing planes and the merchant got so, like, actually, they were so interested in it. My mom ended up buying like probably $120 worth of stuff from that store. And she said, because, because the merchant was interested. And I said, no, the merchant was not interested in your de-icing 
process. Mom, I'm not interested in your de-icing process and I'm your son. You, they just, they robbed you of $120. And then, you know, she said, no, but I haven't seen the stuff in the store. I haven't seen anywhere else, you know, and, and then we, you know, two doors down, it's the same clay lanterns and the same, you know, Spartan statues. Yeah, you'd probably find that everywhere. And oh, that's yeah. actually, um, that, that's something that changes a little bit when you don't speak English when you're traveling abroad. My wife and I were in Florence and we speak English with each other. And so we were just speaking English and every five seconds there was a merchant being like, oh, you guys are American. Um, they just assumed yeah. like, oh, you guys are American and you know, like, come in here, blah, 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 buy this, come here, do this. And I said, this is really irritating. I want to enjoy the city. So uh, we just started speaking Danish to each other. Both of us are pretty bad at Danish. So we were like equally terrible at it. Yeah. Uh, but we just spoke that to each other. The whole rest of the trip, nobody bothered us. No one at all. Like, like there were there were some merchants and people that were trying to like, I don't know, like scam people and were coming out and being like, does anyone speak English? Does anyone speak English? And it's like, obviously like a scam of some sort. And then they're like, no, nobody. Okay. And then they just like walk away. Like, like whatever emergency it was just disappeared. Right. Like they, as though <laughs> they didn't know Italian living in Italy or something. No, why would so, they? Right, right. It's uh, <laughs> This emergency only comes. English, you need so. to be an English speaker to figure out this emergency. This is only for English speakers. Nobody else. Nobody else in the right. world could figure this out. <laughs> I went to, I went to China um a couple years ago too for a couple months and i was speaking american people wanted to come take pictures with me because i was speaking english i should have <laughs> i but i i can't i can't be giving those away for free that degrades you know the value that devalues my my signature right you can't you, can't, <laughs> you don't want to devalue something that's already priceless you know maybe they thought you were someone else they're like oh oh yeah. it's harrison ford oh right? uh, yeah the the jeez yeah, you call me, you call me, point out my gray hairs that I don't have. <laughs> simple, simple as that. But yeah, yeah. I think, I think it's, it's interesting. Then do you have that a similar, similar experiences in, or I don't want to say you because you're, you've been in Scandinavia for you know, almost a decade, but are there similar mercantile touristic, you know, relations, interactions in Scandinavia? Um, not, not as much. Um, they're, they they kind of keep to themselves and they're very quiet. So if you're wandering around uh, speaking English in Scandinavia, it's not as likely as it is in some of the Southern European countries like Greece, uh, France, or sorry, not France, like Greece, Spain, Italy, where you might be targeted by people because you happen to be speaking English. They think, oh, this might be an easy target. It's not so much like that um, here. I mean, that kind of goes into one of the stereotypes I have of of Scandinavians. I'm not trying to say, I'm not trying to put, say that stereotypes are a good thing or defining thing, but you know, the way that you kind of think of other countries. And I'm, I, I want to know whether or not the way that I, as an American, perceive Scandinavian countries or Scandinavian people, having not been to any of those countries, um, <laughs> is any, is any, is any way accurate? I see them as, you know, relative to Americans, happier, um, less braggadocious, kind of more shelled, right? A little bit, a little mm -hmm. bit quieter, a little bit, um, yeah, just just in, intra introverted, right? Yeah, I yeah. Um, there's uh, I don't remember who gave me this analogy, but someone gave me an analogy of uh, peaches and coconuts, and uh, they're saying that Americans are like peaches. So it's like if you think of a peach, it's like the outside is kind of squishy. You can get past the outside pretty quickly, but then once you get to the pit, it's like super hard. And to like really get to know an American is like really, really hard to like get to know who they are deep down on the inside. 
Whereas a Scandinavian is like a coconut where it's super, super, super hard to get through. But the second you get through, there's just, it's just water yeah. inside. And I've, I, that analogy has helped me out a lot because, um, yeah, people here at first seem sort of prickly. Like they seem like, you know, they're, they're just not going to be your friend. And then, but then like the second that you're their friend, you are like their friend for life. You are like closest best buddies forever. And, uh, and, you know, there's no, there's no nonsense in between. It's just, this is who I am. And, uh, and I think that's, um, yeah, like that's, at, le- at least that's the impression that I've gotten over the last eight years. Um, that's interesting, I feel, because at least from the American perspective, a lot of societal interactions involve having a facade, right? Putting, putting on mm-hmm. a, putting on a, putting on a mask, you know, kind of not really being who you are because, you know, of a, a fear of being judged, a fear of being treated differently, right? And just having no sense of pride in your individuality as, as an American, right? Having, you know, like you said, you know more about your, the friends that you've had for years, you know so much about them, but maybe not what they do, right? For a living, you know about what they actually enjoy and what they're passionate about. Where in America, it's, it's all about comparisons. It's all about trying to, you know, get higher up that, that social hierarchy, right? And getting up that social hierarchy is very much a socioeconomic hierarchy. Right. And very much a status defined, a hierarchy versus, you know, an inter an interpersonal characteristic hierarchy. Right. It shouldn't be a hierarchy nonetheless, but you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. And I mean, I, I don't want to misrepresent it. It's not like that's completely absent here. It's just it's toned down enough that, you know, it's that, that it doesn't it doesn't feel prominent because I mean, of course you'll run into people that are like, oh, my whatever is better than your whatever all the time everywhere but uh there it's, it's just not it's just not as emphasized yeah so you also said some of the differences um that you experienced in or so, not some of the differences some of the reasons why why you you know left america were due to racism and discrimination that you found um kind of pervasive in america how yeah. is that you know metastasized if at all in scandinavia well i, th- I think um a good the, a good way to put it. So there there is definitely racism out here. Um, one of the, but it it manifests slightly differently. So in the U.S., for instance, like whenever when I lived in the U.S., so for I guess people who are just listening to this, I happen to be brown, uh, and in the U.S., uh, that means I am always brown. I am on team brown forever. No matter what I do, I am judged among you know like like if some brown person somewhere does something terrible i somehow get the blame for it a little bit in the united states i'm just on team brown um in scandinavia i'm on team west i'm on like the same team as like france and the uk and you know western countries so when they first see me and they first meet me they a lot of the times they assume i'm middle eastern um so they you know, they, 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 they have certain prejudices and stereotypes that come up when they assume I'm Middle Eastern. But as soon as I start talking, they say they, their minds shift almost immediately and they go, Oh, he's American. Um, and I'm, instead of being like some Middle Eastern refugee that's trying to leech off their social security system, I'm suddenly a guy from the place where movies come from. Uh, where yellow school buses take kids to school and where like McDonald's is normal and, and is everywhere. They, like I, I'm, I'm the guy from the land of the movies and they totally understand that. And the shift happens almost instantaneously. And it's a strange shift to see because again, that's the, the strange thing about being in the U S is even though I grew up in the U S it, 
it's very hard for people in the U.S. to recognize me as American. I'd say like some people recognize me. Uh, some some people will be like, "Oh, you're a stranger here. Welcome," you know. Uh, and, and then other people are like, "Oh, you're a stranger here. Get the hell out." Um, but like you know, it just it, it feels like there's very few people that are like, "You live here. This is your home, just as much as it is any of ours." Um, and over here, that is recognized a lot more. The, I'm, I'm recognized as being American, and no different American than any white American or any other person coming from the United States. They see that immediately. Um, you said that shift actually, that shift in mentality was instantaneous. Yeah, right? they saw a color of your skin, and they had prejudices because of the refugee crisis that has been. I don't want to say plaguing because that has a really negative connotation, but as in you know, just occurring in you know throughout Europe. Uh, for for the last you know decade or so, but has there been any sort of reversion in that shift? What I mean by that is that in in America, right, you may have prejudices against. We'll say we'll take the refugee. We'll take a Muslim community um, as an example, right? You have prejudices against them, you know, based on color of their skin, or often, most likely, more often than not, their religion. And you know, say you really, you know, an individual gets to know them, and you know, like, you know, I, I put those prejudices aside. Right. But oftentimes I've heard and I'm aware of it still kind of sits in the back of their mind. Like, yes, they're my friends, but I need to kind of I've, this is a quote from somebody I'm not going to name. I need to still keep an eye on them because mm. they're Muslim and they still, you know, may do something you know, dangerous. They're still they're still dangerous. Right. So, yes, they may they may be a switch like that, a shift in America, but there's still that opportunity for reversion where if somebody in, you know, that is Muslim, you know, does something that gains a lot you know, notoriety you know, across the country or across the world, even if they're really good friends, that still may affect their opinion of that individual. They get automatically looped into that, right? Even if they've supposedly shed those prejudices that they once had. Is there any of that kind of reversion? That I experience? Yes. Or, um, so I'm, so I'm not Muslim. Um, well, no, I know. But, I was, sorry. Uh, I wasn't, I wasn't assuming that you were Muslim. I was just giving an example yeah. of, of a, in, in America by, to clarify, have you, have you know, have, has there been any sort of experiences that you've had or that you know of, um, you know, with regards to anything in Scandinavia where that instantaneous shift that you're talking about in mentality from perceiving you based on the color of your skin to hearing you talk and say, oh, he's American and then associating you strictly with American. Is there any sort of that kind of lingering prejudice? Uh, not really. I mean, um, so, so for me, when, you know, like when they see me they they just like, they kind of recognize me as sort of a weird case and they're just like, Oh, like, like, you know, I saw you from a weird angle for a second, but now I see that you know, I see you as you are. So it doesn't like, like at, at no point do I personally ever, I guess, turn into anything else. Um, but I, I, I can't say for other people or other, um, other groups that, what happens with them. I think it's more that just I happen to be a strange case and they recognize the strange case and sort me in the proper, in what I think is the proper way. What the, the first time that that happened to you when, when they saw you as this quote unquote weird case, were you surprised by that or what was your reaction to it? Yeah, I was. Um, so like, when I moved to Denmark, I decided I wanted to learn Danish, even though a lot of people there speak English. They, yeah, almost everyone knows English uh, pretty well to some degree. Uh, I was like, I'm going to learn Danish. I'm going to speak Danish. And when I speak Danish, obviously I don't speak like a native. Yeah. I speak like a 
person who's learned Danish. But it's not like, I guess my accent isn't super easy to pinpoint. Um, so they can't just go, oh, it's an American accent because I've done a bunch of linguistic stuff before. Uh, so they hear me speaking and, you know, like they see me and they just assume I'm, you know, some Middle Eastern person yeah. and that I'm a refugee and that, you know, I've probably been in that country for years and I've barely learned the language. So they say, you know, they're, they're, they're not so. They're not so impressed by my Danish. And then, you know, when they say, yeah, so where are you from? And then I say the United States. And then they go, really? Yeah. And they, they, they kind of don't believe it for a second. And then they want to speak English. And then, you know, obviously I speak American English. Yeah. And then and then my Danish, which was terrible five seconds ago, is suddenly really good. <laughs> so it's They're like, wow, yeah. your Danish is amazing for an American. But it was terrible for a refugee. It's yeah. uh, my, my nothing changed. Just the perception change, yeah. you know? So, so it's really not that warm of a welcome until they realize that you're American. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So they still, so like they still have that sort of prejudice, you know, obviously you said against the refugees, you know, supposedly stealing, stealing their social security, right? Mooching, right? Leeching. Yeah. There's this, it, it, it's like this, um, and I guess this is a, li- a bit more Denmark than Sweden, but they both kind of have this idea of these refugees that are sitting there just contributing nothing and taking money from the social security system and never giving back into it. Um, and it's, uh, it's, it's a strong stereotype and there's, there's some studies that I, I don't want to say confirm it, but there's basically a lot of studies that say once a refugee comes in, it's some amount of time, like five to seven years before they're able to contribute into the economy again. Um, so, uh, Mm-hmm. And, and in that time, you know, they're learning the ropes, they're learning language, they're learning how the system works here. But once they get to that point, usually they're really high contributors. But some people get fixated on those statistics and start citing them and quoting them to try and justify racist attitudes. That seems very similar to um, the illegal immigrant issue in America with those crossing over from Mexico, right? And just the, the mantra is that they are stealing our jobs, right? They're stealing our jobs, they're stealing our jobs, they're not doing anything, not paying taxes, they're stealing our jobs, right? And then when you know, a large portion of them are deported and now you know your avocado and your grape prices go up and you're like, why are these prices, all this, all, you know, this, this, you know, why, why was there this jump in prices? And then you realize, well, now those, those workers who were, you know, laboring, picking in the fields and, you know, in California and whatnot are not there anymore because they were all, you know, mostly illegal. That now your now your great prices, Karen, are going up, right? right? So it's that the perception that I don't know if it's if it's fear to a degree of not not necessarily fear that they're dangerous, but fear that you know they are this they're is, different. They're, they're, they're different. Just they're just different, and it's not difference. and it's not a good different. It's a different. Yeah, it's, I, it's a different that you don't see like on the TV when you're first growing up. And that's not a good difference. You want everybody to be similar to you. Yeah, I think it's. Um, I think it's also here. They have at least they. There's a strong belief in a monoculture that uh, you know there 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 isn't like a melting pot tradition out here or any sort of melting pot that happened. It's like there was dinosaurs and then the Vikings, right? <laughs> there there weren't a lot of other groups that came out here. I, I, but there's the Sami as well. But um, the, the what? Uh, the, the Sami? Oh, I'm sorry. I thought you said salami. The salami. No, no, no. The Sami. Big difference. Big difference. <laughs> the Sami people, yeah, they're the indigenous people in uh, Norway, Sweden, Finland, and Russia. Pre, um, Pre-Viking? But, 
Well, that, that that's actually kind of interesting. Uh, they were around at the same time as uh, the Vikings, but the um, the the borders of these countries didn't really solidify, so they didn't actually take. Um, so so we'll, we'll take Sweden for instance. Like Sweden didn't claim all of Sweden until. Uh, I don't know, somewhere like the 1400, 1600, something like that. But until then, you know, they were just like, they, they were, there were Sami people in the northern part of Sweden, like up by the Arctic Circle and stuff. And they were, they, they were largely not interacting with, you know, the Vikings that were down there. And at some point they were like, okay, we need to draw actual national boundaries. And we happen to encapsulate these people here. And there was a lot of, um, there was a lot of terrible things that happened to the Sami as well. Uh, they're they're still around. They're still they, yeah. They're they're still around, and they still they have their own unique language. They have their own unique culture. Um, but they uh, like like back in the sixties or seventies or so, the early the early part of the twenty um, what was the last century the early part of the twentieth century. There were things like forced sterilizations that were happening there, like experimentation on oh, wow. Sami people. Yeah, it was. Uh, it was not very, not very great. Um, there, they, yeah. It seems to be a, a case among most, not most places, but all the places that I have spoken to people from, right? The, you know, Sweden and obviously America. And we saw, we heard some things about, you know, things occurring in the British Isles. Um, I've talked to people from Australia. Obviously, the Australian indigenous have had, you know, a short end of the stick. And you spoke about, uh, you know, last week when we, when we had our conversation about you know, New Zealand, uh, the, the native New Zealanders. Who I don't remember the name. Maori. Maori. Thank you. I knew it rhymed yep. with Lowry. I didn't remember what was the first letter. <laughs> um, you know, they all were kind of just being taken advantage of, right? And even as as you said, as recent as the 20th century, there was still prejudice against them. Even though they are, you know, the native people, they still look different to what the status quo is in modern times, right? Is there the perception that you know these people aren't be, aren't contributing to society either, just like the refugees that you know the Sami are existing in our land but they're not aiding the swedish economy they're not contributing to society no i i think um i think i i don't know when the shift happened but it seems that in recent times they're more and more acknowledged as being a legitimate people um i i, I think some of them might might disagree with that but just looking at the literature looking at the official stance on uh, sami people it they, they, they seem to be more and more legitimized. Like they are, um, I don't know if it's a, the right comparison to compare them to Native Americans in the United States, but they're, it's, it's, it's sort of, it's sort of closer to that, I would say. I feel, you know, I do agree that Native Americans have become more, you know, like you said, lack, for lack of a better term, legitimized, um, in recent memory. But, you know, ever since 2016, you know, with <laughs> the current man in charge, uh, his stance on the Native Americans has kind of severed, ties to a degree um hmm. with what had been built before right you know he didn't don correct me if i'm wrong he cut funding to some of the native american tribes um like like national yeah. allotments to to yeah. them he yeah, and, tried, and, and, he tried and, to re, re, redraw lines around you know their their borders and he's been really pushing all the the uh, the pipelines going through their, yes. their territories and stuff yes. And that's and and the pipeline is really the the one thing that has caught the attention of the media. Everything else really hasn't, and that's I think that's something else to be said as well. I only knew about the pipeline, actually. Yeah, uh, I I didn't know about any of that other stuff. Exactly. At all. Yeah, that's that's the thing. Like that's that's a big thing. So no, I'm not saying like I I just think 
it shows how bad of a president he is also. But whatever. Wait, I mean, that, we talked to... <laughs> well, that's kind of what, what happens. I mean, when yeah. the pipeline was a th- thing, right? It, it was international news, right? Because oil is an international thing, right? But if it's something smaller, that's a little bit more of a domestic issue, right? That doesn't stretch across international borders. It's going to stay domestic, but I... You know, but from a public perception, that feels like it degrades the importance of it. It degrades the severity of the issue. So, I mean, I think I, I think it's also it depends on how how simple of a narrative it is for it to cross international borders. Um, you were asking me before about the Black Lives Matter movement and how it uh, how it's come across here, and I think one of the reasons why it's come across is I actually I don't know exactly how it's being perceived in the U.S. I have friends. In the U.S., of course, uh, and I live in sort of my own little filter bubble of that. But over here, it's definitely, I guess it's seen as it's two separate things. One is um, the American humanitarian issue, which is basically, should American police have the right to execute whoever they want um, as long as they're black? And the answer to that is no. And it's a pretty easy, resounding no. And Everywhere in the world, they agree with that. They're like, American police should not have the right to execute black people. Like that, that's not a thing they should be allowed to do. And that's that. That's kind of how it's been presented on that angle. Is that's you know, and and that's why so many people in so many countries, so many corporations, so many just random people have gotten up and said, "Black Lives Matter." Yeah, you shouldn't be allowed to just arbitrarily kill black people. Duh. That and, uh, and 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 it's it's gotten a lot of att- it's gotten a lot of support because it's such a simple at least the version that comes across over here is such a simplified narrative. Um, the other the other side of that, I guess, the other half of that is that lots of countries have their own marginalized groups, their own marginalized people, um, or their people that maybe they have dark skin and are being treated unfairly. And this has been an opportunity for them to be like, okay, wait, you guys support Black Lives Matter, but what about the people in our country and the way that they're being treated? So this has also been an opportunity for marginalized marginalized people in other countries to be like, we also have it bad. We also are being, we also have our rights um, oppressed in some way, sometimes by the, and, and I guess some of them have focused on the police as well. They're saying that the policing is unfair, but it's become more of a general point saying, okay, everyone here agrees Black Lives Matter, but how do you feel about Muslim lives in this country when there's more Muslims, for instance, than Blacks? So um, it kind of started as, you know, you guys are, or not you guys, but for example, Sweden uh, was standing in solidarity, right, with the American protests. Right. Is yeah. we, we also, you know, support this common sense initiative that people shouldn't be, like you said, executed and killed by law enforcement officials based on arbitrary things like color your skin, like their religion, like a perceived threat. Yeah. Um, but it has now grown and maybe it's, is it, is a timeline thing, right? Where it's kind of just become expanded and become kind of a platform for these other marginalized groups to, like you said, say, Hey, you know, black lives matter. That's the issue in, in over over in this country or these other countries. In our country right now, you know, who's the marginalized group? For example, like you said, Muslims, right? Muslim lives matter as well. So is that kind of the chronology? Sort of, sort of. It's like, um, yeah. So, uh, so the the story breaks in the U.S. and then everyone comes out and says Black Lives Matter, and everyone agrees Black Lives Matter, and 
you know, like large companies, like famous people, everyone's coming out and saying it. And then the marginalized people of that country go, now, hold on a minute. <laughs> what about what you're saying? Black lives matter. But what about all these actions you're taking against our country's minorities or our country's marginalized people? So and and, and then they've been pointing out some of the hypocrisies of that. And it's actually it's gone. It, it, it's people have been listening. People have been listening to that, which is really cool and really amazing. Have there has there been any sort of legislative changes um, that have kind of unfolded from this? That you know of I, out here not that i know of right now i think it's more a continuing conversation sure that, um that that it's it's gotten to the point where it was it was brought up in the united states and then they brought up the sort of hypocrisy that exists in this country and now that is sort of on the table being analyzed a little bit so it's moved past that that quote-unquote fad stage yeah yeah yeah, it's it's um, it's people are thinking. Okay, what of this? Is, how do we address these issues? What are, it, it's starting conversations. I guess I should say that it's starting conversations. It's not clear how far those conversations are going to go. Hopefully, they go pretty far. But it's just at the stage where those kind of conversations are starting right now. Um, regarding Black Lives Matter, going back to it just for a second, I asked this. We asked this question a couple weeks ago when we talked to Kean from Ireland. Um, Regarding how you said how Black Lives Matter has also, you know, kind of taken off in Sweden and it's helped, you know, with maybe saying Muslim Lives Matter and these other marginalized groups. Was that something before, like, Black Lives Matter definitely affected those groups, you know, getting more attention and like, you know, legislation or something like we were just talking about. So did, did the, the, like, Scandinavian population know about Black Lives Matter before, you know, um, Sorry, but before just now, like, did you guys know about Flando Castile, Sandra Bland, Eric Gardner, stuff like that? Um, Eric Gardner, yeah, yeah. okay. Um, but not, 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 not the, not so much the other ones. Okay. Um, and and usually it would come up as, and, and I th- I think maybe it it was the same narrative in the U.S. too that these were sort of freak occurrences. Yeah. As though this was, this was oh one the, the the story was sort of the story of one bad cop and the terrible thing that they did and oh I can't believe that we let this one bad cop onto an otherwise amazing police force what were we thinking how did that happen and I think that's kind of that that's the narrative that that gets pushed and that's sort of the narr- that that's sort of like the official narrative on a lot of these issues and i think something has just happened this time around where it, it passed that threshold where no one's buying that anymore no one's saying no one's saying oh this was just a freak occurrence this was a freak occurrence this was a freak occurrence they're like this is this is too many this is a system now have you seen those you know those repeated freak occurrences right as you said that you saw you know uh with a a specific agenda in the u.s have you seen, is that something that has occurred that you've seen in Europe at all? Where, you know, these, there have been killings and there have been, you know, prejudices against different groups that have just been deemed freak, that have just been deemed just, just an outlier to, to the norm. And if so, do you believe it? Like, is it, is it true? Or are they actually outliers? Because in America, they're not, they're not outliers, right? But in other countries where, you know, the prejudices may not be as rooted and strong, um, and, you know, explicit. Are those freak occurrences actually freak occurrences? I, I don't know that. Like, um, 
I don't follow the local news that strongly enough to know that. Um, I I know there have definitely been documentaries made around um, things like immigrant struggles uh, to just show what it's like for them in these countries. Uh, there was... Um, now I'm gonna have to look it up later. <laughs> if I mention it, I'm gonna have to look it up later. Aren't yeah, I? <laughs> we'll plug it too doc- if, we, if we figure it out. Okay, there there was a documentary about this Danish girl or this um, refugee girl that was in Denmark, and I think she was about 13 years old when they started making this documentary, and she was the Danish ideal immigrant in every single way. Like she was just like the most popular person in her school. Dreaming she of Denmark. Danish. Maybe. So I'm, I'm trying. I'm, you're talking. I'm trying to take what you're talking and find the and find the title for it. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and, and it just follows her and her sort of never getting a response from immigration and immigration just kind of giving her the runaround for years. And it it's kind of it's kind of sad because she goes from a just amazing girl to sort of like this shell of a person by the end. And it's just because immigration gives her the runaround so at some point basically she is told she could be deported at any moment uh, or she could stay for years she doesn't really know and she just has to deal with that and it it takes a toll on her yeah the um the documentary actually like they 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 were planning on her having a decision by the end of the documentary because it'd been going on for years and at some point they just had to had to push the documentary out and she didn't have a decision and i think it was like several months after the documentary ended that they said yeah she can stay but it's sort of like at that point what who are you that gets to stay right the the government has all you know that it has dozens of years that they can push things down the road that they can avoid making a decision so that they don't give you a yes but hope that you get frustrated enough to go home right. they can play this attrition game forever and you as a human don't have that luxury like a 13 year old girl with all the hopes in the world is very different from a um i don't know 17 18 year old that is just jaded with life and thinks everything is terrible because everything has been terrible for her yeah and that's that's a story I didn't know of, right? And that, that's very similar to right, the immigration process, the green card process in America, right? Where you would think it, it shouldn't take more than, you know, a couple of years to, to get that stuff sorted out. But you still have people who are here for over a decade who still are awaiting, you know, clearances and are still backlogged in the system. Why can't that be, you know, and you said that in the turnaround, a couple months after the documentary was released, they said, yeah, you know, you can stay. Right? Why did they need to take that long? <laughs> yeah. But those are things that, you know, yes, you're, I'm aware of the refugee crisis that's going on, you know, in, in Europe. That has been going on in Europe and it's still going on in Europe. But I'm, I didn't know that their immigration processes are just as skewed and just as, you know, delayed as those, as yeah, those in America. Yeah, it varies from country to country as well. Um, the different countries have different numbers of refugees that they're willing to take in they have different um yeah amounts of requirements for refugees as well and uh that's actually been a bit of a problem because sweden had sweden took a large amount of refugees in in uh what was it 2015 i'm gonna say um that feels about right (laughs) Um, the, 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 there was there was a large number of refugees that Sweden took in compared to um, some of its neighbors, particularly Denmark, Norway, Finland, and uh, Sweden has 
kind of been taking a lot of flack for it, but from Sweden and from other countries. And it actually, it caused a little bit of an issue because refugees were, this this is an interesting topic in and of itself, refugees learn information from sort of a underground rumor network you could almost call it so they'll so they they're they're leaving their country and they want to go to europe and they're not totally sure which country they want to go to so they learn sort of rumors and they hear oh it's easier for you in finland if you happen to be from this particular city that's probably not the case but they, they they believe it so they're like okay we're all going to finland or they say oh norway is good for people who are doing this or whatever so they wrap themselves based on rumors basically and at some point the fact that Sweden took refugees in more got routed through this rumor network and Sweden got a surge of refugees and they weren't really sure what to do about that. So what they ended up doing was that it was a really simple sort of solution. They just instituted, instituted a border control. They said at the, at the border, at the Swedish Danish border, like the one that's like right over there that I live next to, you have to open up your passport and you have to have a passport. You have to have some valid document for entering Sweden. And if you want to come in as a refugee, then you declare that you want to come in as a refugee right there and then they'll route you appropriately. So in, in effect, nothing had changed. You're still allowed to ask for a refugee status. But the effect that this had in the sort of refugee rumor network is they said, oh, Sweden is getting sick of us. They're putting security in. So the refugee oh. flow actually stopped, which is weird. Um, and this was this was several years ago. That was like maybe 20. I, I need to check the year, but I feel like it was 2015. But um, there's still a, um, a border check here. That's a, a random border check, which you're technically not allowed to have in the EU because the EU is supposed to be mm-hmm. no border checks. But they still they still sporadically do it like they're allowed to have it as a as a random check so, so they have it as a random when you say check. random is it is it <laughs> random or is it or is it or is it ra- random you know like you know you you have like a random <laughs> drug tests in america because some football player uh did very well one particular day or is it like, like <laughs> is, it, is it profile randomness yeah like, what I'm like, trying to say. like when the middle eastern person gets profiled at the airport that type of random <laughs> check Oh no! So so this one. Oh, this this is another this is another crazy story. Okay, so um, th- to answer your question right now, um, this check is maybe I I commute to Denmark every um, like two times a week, and I'd say once every two weeks they have a check, and when they have a check there, it's a check for the whole train. So they check the entire train. Gotcha. It's not um, so, selective. So it's e- no, no. It's they check the whole train, or they don't, or there's no security guards at all. Um, but okay. So this was, this was so wild. Um, we were going, we were taking a train from Sweden to Norway, uh, to visit my, I mentioned I have a cousin in Norway. Um, we, we were taking a train to visit her like a year ago, two years ago. And my wife is Swedish and she's white. And we were, we were on the train together and we were talking. And then there was this, uh, black woman behind us that I, I can't, place the country exactly but if i had to guess it i would say somalia because that there were a lot of somali refugees um and she seemed about the right age but um she she looked as though she were somali Mm -hmm. and she was just talking to us because she saw that we had our kid with us and she said oh the kid's so cute and she was talking to the kid and then we crossed the border and then border agents came in they came to her they asked her for identification and documentation she provided it and me and my wife were like, oh, of course, they're going to ask the whole train. So we started getting all of our stuff out. After they talked to her, they left the train. They only talked to her. 
she was the old, the the whole train. There, there there wasn't like a lot of people on the train. There were like maybe you know like I don't know twelve people on the train. They only talked to her. Yeah, yeah, yep. That I that's like, that's selective profiling. I, I was I almost I I almost wanted to just call the guy back and be like, can you just check me for show? <laughs> just, yeah. just just so it's just so you're not just picking on that lady. Like it doesn't it's not going to take you any longer, and you're stuck on the train like the rest of us until we get to the next stop. Just do it. Just 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 for show, you know. But would but, you, yeah. So I mean, time back. That's a freak occurrence. Right, right. Because I mean, have, have you been have you been on or had train rides or been in situations where you you know there may have been other people of of color, other refugees that could have been perceived as refugees on that you know mode of transit, and they could have profiled them. But this one, they kind of I don't know had the opportunity. But what I'm trying to get to is that you know in America, I can think of off the top of my head seven to- at least seven times where I've seen somebody you know in an airport profiled by the color of their skin and given a random check. Right. I, my mother, my mother is Filipino, but you know, if you squint your eyes, she kind of looks Middle Eastern. Like you really squint. (laughs) So, you know, I've, I've never been, you know, randomly checked, but I've been on two flights with her where she has. I've been randomly checked all the time. (laughs) Right. That's what I'm saying is that, is that that randomness, you know, is much more a profiled randomness in America. And you said now it's starting to creep into that kind of, that that randomness, the randomness that isn't so random uh, in Sweden is kind of creeping in now because of the refugee crisis. Yeah, I, I don't, I don't know. I, I, I don't think I can say much to that. I just know that this was okay. To be fair, that that is the only time I've seen something like that obvious and mm-hmm. heinous happening. Um, I haven't really seen people wander around and you know like check people's passports and stuff um, in other places, but. Uh, I yeah I'm I'm not I'm not sure how often that kind of stuff occurs. Do you think it contributes to a perception um of of a demographic in Sweden? Like after the person got profiled, right? Essentially, is what I want to call it, uh, mm. based on you know what they were dressed like or what they look like or just a coincidental timing for for Somalian refugees. Um, is that contributing to the perception? of those refugees being that they are racially profiled right because well, by, by that because i mean in, in america you know who's going to get randomly checked at an airport right and i i promise you and you probably can attest to this that you know in and of itself affects the perception of a demographic if they are the ones being profiled you know at airports right whether or not you have a kid who sees uh, a brown individual being taken away at an airport, right, to be randomly checked. What does he see? He sees somebody who has a color of skin different to him being taken away, and he sees nobody else with the same color of skin that he has being taken away, right? Right. Off the bat, the system has implanted that that kind of just slight slight skew um, about perceiving somebody else in his mind, whether or not he was conscious of it, you know, then or not. He's he witnessed something that caused him got, that he witnessed somebody else seeing somebody different based on the color of their skin, right? And that, as as a kid who's very got a malleable mind, potentially could have affected the way he perceives somebody else. Is are these random checks, this profiling that's you know you, that you saw starting to occur, or at least even if it was a it was a one time thing, you know, has there have you observed any sort of fallout from that? I, I think I think not yet, but I think that's also this is something that is coming up in people's radars now mm-hmm. because of things like Black Lives Matter. Um, looking at wait, 
what are the police doing? Are they doing random checks? Are they not doing, are they not being so random? Are they, what, what is the pattern behind that? And is that a pattern that we want to support? I think it's, I think it's something that people are looking at a lot more now. Is that, do you think it came at a good time? You know, the Black Lives Matter, because, you know, I, at least from my view, and, and you may say, no, no, Ziggy, you're absolutely wrong. But from my view, I see that, you know, this was a one-time occurrence, you know, at least for you, that you saw of racial profiling. But how many other trains and how many other times could this have happened, right? And how much more could this be happening in the future, right? It's, it may slowly be ramping up. And this is kind of putting a lid on the situation before it potentially starts to get bigger and more of a common occurrence. Yeah, and it's and it's also I think um, I'm I'm going to be biased against uh, seeing if there is racial profiling. I'm probably going to be biased against seeing it because again, when I'm in the U.S., I absolutely get you know racially profiled. But when I'm over here, I'm usually sort of loud and boisterous enough that they can tell I'm American and uh, I'm mostly left alone. Yeah. So uh, so I think if I were for instance, out in public speaking Arabic, uh, I think that my impressions uh, would would be very very different, and I, I I can't I can't really say much to what the Arabic speakers in Sweden go through, but um, from it's and, and how it compares to what it's like in the U.S. But it doesn't. I, I'm getting a much better I'm getting a much better deal than they are for sure. Right, but it's all you said. It's all relative, right? You experience this this sort of profiling in America. And the fact that you're experiencing much, much less, right, based on, you know, uh, the color of your skin in Sweden, it's it's a completely different picture. But that doesn't necessarily mean it doesn't exist. Exactly. Exactly. Um, it's it, it's just it's compared to what I get in the U.S., like everything here just feels so tame <laughs> that yeah. it hardly that, that it hardly registers. You know what I mean? It's uh, I, I have read from people like there's there's different groups of expats and different people I've talked to and they do describe things that sound pretty bad. But I just again, for me, it just it feels a lot tamer than what I had right. before. So my brain just goes, oh, this is this must be nicer. I mean, I feel like it'd be irrational to think that, you know, it's it's only in America that it happens, period. But it's <laughs> right. the fact that America is the extreme, I guess, of one end of the spectrum. Yeah, and and I think it's just the 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 way that American race is defined is very is um so every, everywhere in the world has some form of you are from a different group mentality mm-hmm. for people for for some some people that are in a different group. It's just how they define those groups. Like, is it the country that you're from? Is it the language that you speak? Is it the clothes that you wear? Is it the amount of money that you have? Which one of these or, or is it your age? Is it like you know their, your height? What what of these dimensions is significant? What of these dimensions is important? And of those, which ones are we going to, I guess, allow society to hate you for? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. which is which is that's yeah, messed up. It's, it, yeah, yeah, it's really really weird. <laughs> it's something that's only that's only specific to humans too. Right? You don't see that in any other animal. You don't see one lion not letting another lion because you know he's a little bit. Uh, more golden than another line. That, that doesn't happen. <laughs> but do you see, I, at least when you brought that up, and I think of America, every single one of those, you know, defining characteristics, whether it be physical or, or, or psychological, is matters, right? If you're, if you're a short man, you're seen in a much lesser light, pun not intended, for, <laughs> uh, you know, relative to somebody that's over six feet tall, 
right? If you, you know, have a specific skin tone or a specific religion, if you, you know, are a six foot white male with that's Christian, you know, you're top of the pecking order in terms of the social hierarchy, right? Because every single thing matters, right? Is it, is that the same? Or have you seen that similar, similarly in Scandinavia that every single characteristic that can be seen as, you know, individual, some, something that's individualized and something to be proud of, right? Is put in, into the machine that is society and spit out, you know, with a different, different light. No, I, yeah, uh, there's like same thing I said before, like a little bit, but um, there, there's a lot more emphasis here on not standing out. Um, it's it's such a different mentality. Like if you come here, you'll notice that everyone kind of seems to be dressed kind of the same compared to somewhere like the U.S. Like 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 the men and the women are dressed very similar to each other. The uh, kids and the adults are dressed very similar to each other it's not like i mean i it, it, that makes it sound like they're wearing some sort of uniform well, I, I know it's what you like, mean though yeah yeah it's, it's like the, the 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 style is to not stand out so much i am um, <laughs> i bought a uh, bright blue jacket in ireland when we went just because i was like you don't see this color so much in the stores here <laughs> like 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 this bright shade of blue i'm gonna buy it right here and then i'm gonna be able to like stand out and like not get lost in a crowd because i'm yeah. gonna be wearing this bright blue thing that doesn't exist anywhere else right it's like it's a. Uh... <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely more a culture about not standing out. And um, I think that's also why when something stands out so much, when someone has like a completely different language, a completely different religion, a completely different culture, completely different dress, completely different everything, it bothers them a bit more because of that. But do they keep that, that I don't say irritation, because I don't know. I don't know, it doesn't feel right, but we'll say, well, they just, like, that irritation that they have towards somebody else that, that's different, do they keep that inside more than they do express it outwardly? A bit, yeah. Um, it was, this was actually, um, so I lived in Germany for a while, and um, anecdotally, it just, when I was in Germany, of course, being non-German, I, I just kind of messed things up all the time. I wasn't sure, oh, do you have to pay for this thing? Do you go in here? Do you go in this store? What do you do here? Mm-hmm. And people were kind of correcting me all the time. People were like, like, like in a nice way, they'd just be like, oh, this is how we do it. You're supposed to do this. You're supposed to do this. And at some point after I lived in Germany, like people weren't correcting me anymore. And I was like, oh, cool. I got it. You know, right. I, I, I've earned my place in German society at that point. Um, when I got to Scandinavia, I could feel that I was doing things wrong. Like maybe I wasn't supposed to talk to people in line. Maybe I wasn't supposed to, you know, like, like this thing, you're supposed to wait your turn or this thing, whatever. But like no one would correct me. People, I, I could see that they were annoyed, but there wasn't, <laughs> they, they, they weren't correcting me in that regard. And I think that's a slight, I, I think that's a slight difference in Scandinavia versus Germany there is that the Scandinavians will kind of, they'll, they'll stay resentful at people and not really tell them why do they want to avoid confrontation i think so i think uh i, I think they 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 just yeah they want to avoid confrontation and not yeah not not start something it feels like it have to it feels like in america people like confrontation people want conf- like trying yeah. to make confrontation <laughs> out of something that isn't a thing yeah oh god yeah yeah like just just um <laughs> I was trying to explain this to someone just like growing up in the US, like the number of times that like, you know, some random I, I grew up mostly around in uh, white areas, um, 
white neighborhoods and just like the number of times where someone would just kind of be like, hey, you're a different skin color. Let's debate and justify your existence. Like, like <laughs> just, you know, like, I mean, they wouldn't quite word it like that, but it would right, just but be th- like. That's kind of how it came off. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're like, hey, let's go talk about race. I'm like, why? <laughs> <laughs> you know, you know, like, 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 let's debate about it. Let's, and I'm just like, go away. Cause why, like, why is it a debate? This isn't something that needs to be. Right, right, exactly. On. It's like, right. It's like the best case scenario of that debate is this person gives me human respect. Right. And it's like that, that, that shouldn't be something that's debatable. I shouldn't be able yeah. to lose that because I made a weird argument. Right. Like that's, that's dumb. I mean, you see, you see instances in America, even recently of, of people just minding their own business, right. In a Walmart, right. Speaking yeah, dude, Spanish. All the freaking or, Karen memes out there are just going nuts. Cause all the, all these Karens out there hate when people play their music loudly in their cars. It's like, and it's 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 this the sense that it's so it's so hypocritical. It feels that in America, it's all about individualism and being yourself, and it's you know, land of the free. And I can I can do this. I cannot wear a mask if I don't want to. I can you know I can do X Y Z because I'm an American and I'm free, right? But also, if you're an American and you're free, you have to follow these rules. And by rules, I mean you know societally deemed constructs like you have to speak english and you have to be white okay and you can't not be white and you have <laughs> yeah. to you know walk this way and talk this way and act this way right you have to keep your kids on a leash it's right? it's so it's so hypocr- <laughs> right. it's so hypocritical right you see you know an asian individual in california working out outside and doing some doing some workouts on stairs and then an old white lady comes down and belittles her and screams at her for taking up the stairs even though it's a large set of stairs and she's only using part of it and for, um, you know, to get back to whatever country she came from and to, you know, stop wearing black clothes in the hot Los Angeles summer. I kid you not. That's what came out of her mouth. You can't wear black clothes. You're absolutely insane. You know, it's, it's those things is that people just are looking to, to call somebody out for being different than them, right? It's, 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 they're looking for a reason and, and looking for anything to support their antiquated social beliefs and i think that's i think it's so weird because those um those stories they're always framed in that weird way right they're framed like um they're they're almost never framed in terms of the person who did whatever it was they're framed in terms of the victim like you know the the victim was um you know like attacked for being asian or was attacked for being black or was attacked for being whatever and, and I, I think that's unhealthy because that makes people think that, you know, this is something that's possible and exists in the world. Whereas, okay, okay, let, let, let me go back here. The, um, the way I would like to frame those kind of stories is crazy woman attacks woman in stairs, right? This crazy woman who was, you know, like, like what was wrong with her? Why would she attack somebody in the stairs? She had something off. She needs help. Let's talk about it like that. As opposed to, because because when when the story suddenly becomes you know Asian woman attacked, then there's all these people out there with like pent up aggression that kind of get it in their heads. Oh, it's open season on Asians now. You know, like I can I can't just take out my aggressions on anybody because then I'll be seen as some you know insane person that needs to be locked up. But I can on Asians now because this is something that is allowed in our society or this is something that exists in our society. So Does that make any sense? Oh, that makes perfect sense. Um, okay. Yeah. Cause I, cause it always weirds me out that like, it's never framed that way. It's never framed like, you know, person totally off the rocker attacks, just sensible person on the street. Two it's things. Like, is it because victimizing an individual gets clicks? 
is it because that will get more media traction. If it's just this crazy person who should be, you know, getting psychiatric eva- psychiatrically evaluated, goes off on another another individual. Does that get as many clicks as if it seems like it's a targeted, race-motivated instance? And before Donnie says something, and B, um, I agree that th- it should. that's the way that I would prefer it to be said. Like, this person is degrading another individual for something completely arbitrary. Not even like, not even like skin tone. Just like they are, they are working out on stairs, and I don't like it, right? Right. Um, they're wearing, you know, black clothes in Los Angeles, and I don't like it, right? Which, which I think is still the craziest thing I've ever heard somebody get mad at somebody else for. But to frame it in the way that, that you put, would that – I don't know how to praise it. Like, what would, the, what would that a- accomplish? Did, did yeah, you, yeah, 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 yeah. Real, real, real quick. Uh, to answer the first part of Ziggy's question, A, with the more clicks, yes, that's exactly what it is. We're taught that as communications and media students to – Write the headline that draws the most attention. So that's what happens. I just started to see something where it's, that is being taught differently to not generalize the headlines. But in my three years of college, I've been taught to write the headlines to get the most clicks. I just wanted to say that quickly. Is that contributing to the perception though? Yes. I would say. I think it's, um, maybe sometimes. Oh, maybe sometimes. I don't know. I think it does. I think it depends on who the person is writing that headline to. Like if that person has a bias against Asian Americans, they're clearly going to write that in their headline. That if another person doesn't, then the headline might be, might seem more fair. Yeah. I think it, um, it, it also on the, on the flip end of it, uh, contributes to, a feeling of um, of helplessness uh, on the part of so 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 if we take if we take that headline of woman attacks other woman for being Asian, then all the Asian people out there just feel a little bit more helpless because they are like, I can be attacked for being Asian now. This is a thing that can happen in the world, and when they're attacked for being Asian, there's a little part of their of their psyche that instead of saying instead of seeing it as this one person is doing this thing to me right now, they see it as this is going to be something that, that, that society piles on me. And it makes you feel like more helpless that way. And I'm absolutely not saying that, you know, like it should be discounted or ignored in any way. It's just sort of the, the difference between when you feel like all of society is piling on you versus that one guy is piling on you. Like it, it, you react very differently. Um, can I, can I take a quick tangent? I would love to go for you to go on a tangent, Nimish, but we are almost out of time. And that just means we got to save that till next time. And now we know there's going to be a next time. We're going to have a next time with a guy named Jesse that we had a conversation with. Now we're going to have a next time with, with a good friend now, Nimish. And, I personally can't wait because I learned so much, of not only about Scandinavian culture, but about America, just just the U.S.'s perception of things and how much it differs, you know, and and how and how much more pervasive the issue is. Every conversation I have with somebody who's been in another country for an extended period of time has just made my perception of America even more strong, right? Because it just puts it into even you know wider of a perspective of how pervasive the problems really are. And to a degree, that's scary, right? And it's a little, it's a little unnerving to really get this perspective from other countries um, and other people who have lived in other countries saying, 
that, yeah, what, what's going on there? We stand in solidarity with you. It's helping with issues in our countries too. But we, you know, stood in solidarity because we think that the humanitarian crisis is what you called it, Nimish. And, you know, it is a humanitarian crisis, but to, but to have, you know, the perception from another country calling it a humanitarian crisis, uh, it's eye-opening. It really, it really is. And it is unnerving, but it is, it's eye-opening and it's necessary. That's, that's, that's all I got to try to, to try to wind that one down. I know it was kind of, kind yeah. of an abrupt stop and I hate to be the guy that makes abrupt stops. I'm usually not. Um, but to conclude part one, I'd like to thank Nimish, uh, for hopping on to the podcast, speaking a little bit about you know just the movement in and of itself furthering the discussion kind of commenting on the refugees uh, crisis that's been going on in europe and kind of how that parallels that that's been you know the movements that have been going on in america as well as some other things that we spoke on as well if you have anything you want to plug nimish i know you've been working on your own podcast anything you want to you know put out into the world now's the time yeah look for our podcast that will be out sometime soonish. Uh, it's called Scandic Reflections, and it's going to be with me and a friend of mine who's also an expat living in Scandinavia, just looking at and getting to know people that are being impacted by the news locally. Okay, well, I'm going to need to link to that one because I'm going to want to listen to that personally. Um, but if, because I hear this conversation that we had today and the conversation you and I had a, a week or two ago, and I want to hear more about that. Right. And I really, really want to hear more about that. And I can easily put on a facade and say that, but I promise you on my life, that is something I really want to hear. Um, we want to thank Nimish once again for hopping on. Uh, we hope you guys stay safe out there. Anyway, signing off. This is Ziggy. This is Donnie. And that's Nimish. See you, See you <laughs> guys later. Almost. All right, you guys stay safe. <laughs>